0: Constantly move forward. There's a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today and we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow. If you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here's Dave Goldberg.
1: Good day and welcome to Big Beacon Radio. I'm Dave Goldberg and I'm your show host and Big Beacon is a movement to transform higher education at bigbeacon.org. In every episode, we explore some of the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us. You can follow live tweeting of the show, ask questions, or make comments about the show during the program on Twitter at hashtag BigBeacon. And our, our first segment is uh, sponsored by Olin College, a uh, laboratory for the for, um, future of education. And um, we're pleased, uh, we're doubly pleased to have the president of Olin College with us today, we got Rick Miller. Welcome to the show, Rick.
2: Thank you, Dave. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Yeah, it's, great to, ha- it's uh, great to have you back. And Rick, you were the show's uh, first guest back on April 26, 2015, almost two years ago. And since then, you've added to your own growing list of personal accolades and awards. And um, we don't want to go through all of those, but what one, two, or three things uh, should our audience know about you personally and what's happened to you since our last conversation on air?
2: Well, I'm remarkably the same person i 'm just as committed as I ever was don 't usually look outside for <clears throat> recognition much um, there's a couple things that I think might be interesting to listeners. One of them is a um, a program called Business Innovation Forum Summit. Uh, this is uh, a group that's in Providence, Rhode Island, and they do stories about personal transformation and I did a talk there last fall, which I think was quite um, well received, which deals with uh, how in- education transformed my life. And I think more details are there for people who might be interested. Um, also, uh, very, very surprised last fall to be um, selected for the Brock International Prize in Education, uh, something that is beyond engineering, uh, was, um, you know, really amazing. And I guess it basically shows that even really smart people make mistakes sometimes.
1: Well, I don't, don't think they view it as a mistake, and and, uh, and the others who know you don't view it as a mistake either. And and um, and so to get you back in your comfort zone, let's let's talk about Olin. Olin continues to bask in attention from education reformers and transformers from around the world. Um, what uh, one, two, or three things should listeners know about the college since our last conversation?
2: Yeah, since uh, 2015, um, the college's uh, footprint seems to have grown a little bit larger, even though the foot's still the same size. We have been visited now by more than 2,000 mostly faculty members from more than 750 different uh, organizations, mostly universities from 50 different countries. Uh, There's a lot of people who are quite interested now in innovation and education And Olin seems to be on the list of must see places for people who are making the rounds. Um, It's especially interesting for us because we always learn more from those interactions with other schools about what they're doing and why they're doing it. Um, The other thing is, the school has um, attempted to gear up for this kind of expansion of footprint, and so we are recruiting faculty members, and we're looking for people who have a heart for trying to change education on a large scale with an interdisciplinary mindset. Um, so those are a couple of things that have gone on. Some people might be interested um, to know, are we planning to expand our enrollment? And the idea, uh, idea is not to do that. Um, we, are, we consider ourselves a laboratory where uh, the fixed size of the place, which is quite small at about 350 students, enables us to do experiments that um, we can recover from if they don't work out very quickly. Um, if we were much larger, it would be a much bigger deal, and that's not our mission. Uh, however, we are expanding our faculty members, um, about 25% increase in faculty, without expanding the student body in order to do more of the engagement with other universities.
1: Well, that's uh, that's that's interesting, and one of the things I've always wondered about is whether, um, you know, so there's, there's such a thirst for this kind of innovation and experience outside of The U.S. It seems like, at least from my experience, that more schools in South America and Asia and even Europe are interested in changing, uh, maybe more so than our colleagues in the U.S. And I've wondered whether Olin would ever consider uh, putting an outpost or an aircraft carrier out some some place to influence others.
2: Well, that's a really important observation, uh, Dave. With uh, some of our work with our friends at the World Bank in the last few years, we've discovered a phenomenon in which, uh, led largely by the BRIC countries, of Brazil, Russia, India, and China, uh, there's a great expansion of uh, capacity in higher education around the world. Uh, It seems that the BRIC countries are experiencing um, the emergence of a middle class uh, for the first time. And the middle class has a number of priorities, but the number one priority seems to be education for their kids. And so they're putting pressure on their governments to find seats on their in their um, countries for these uh, burgeoning number of students who are graduating from high school. Um, and because they're developing countries, they tend to give a priority to two kinds of curricula. One of them is engineering and the other one is business. So there's a lot of activity there. Um, in India alone, for instance, I think there's several thousand new engineering schools that have developed in the last five years, uh, most of them private. Um, in Russia, of course, um, Vladimir Putin has a, a project called the, um, the um, 5100-2020 project in which they're trying to get five Russian universities recognized in the top 100 by the Times Higher Education Poll by the year 2020. So there's pressure there. China has long been building uh, new universities in different provinces, uh, several of them a year, it seems like, in each province, and, of course, in Latin America. So Ola's experience in these other countries um, is, you know, modest, but nevertheless uh, deeply motivated. Uh, we've had some experience in Sao Paulo, Brazil, helping uh, INSPUR develop a new um, engineering school in that private business school in the heart of Sao Paulo. Uh, we've yes. also uh, been working in uh, less aggressively in Singapore in Vietnam, in the U.K., and other places around the world. Will we plan to replicate Olin at other places? Well, we don't have a plan to do that now, but as we look uh, into the future, 10, 20 years, one never knows. Um, We've noticed in our own case that about half of all of Olin's alumni now live uh, on the West Coast, largely in Seattle or San Francisco. Uh, That was not expected, uh, but apparently the kinds of Opportunities that are most attractive to the old alumni seem to be in that area, and that's three thousand miles away from where our campus is. so there are lots of things to think about there
1: oh great, and thanks and thanks for sharing that and and um you know, on this show, we were interested in unleashing Mark Somerville and I wrote in a whole new engineer that one of the central features of of what we're calling transformation is this sense of self-efficacy and unleashing, where people learn to have trust in their own learning and their own ability to uh, do things that they didn't think they could do. And and um, and in many ways, and and when you visited us last time, you were kind enough to share some of the stories of of your own unleashing. I'm I'm actually curious this time what what stories of recent student or or even faculty unleashing stick in your mind that that you can share with our audience?
2: Well, there's so much going on, it's very hard to pick out uh, any one thing. Sure. Um, the, the Olin alumni, of course, we've, we graduated our first class in 2006, so that means that we have alumni that have been out for about 11 years. So they really, are, especially those who went on to graduate school, are just now beginning to emerge and establish themselves. Nevertheless, yes. there are a number of alumni who show up <clears throat> uh, in the press and in other areas. We had a... A student in 2015, I think two years ago, shortly after the last um, interview with you, uh, I think his name is Jeffrey Holsgraf from Texas, who won the first Marshall Scholarship from Olin, and he chose to study uh, physics at Cambridge University in the UK. Um, that's interesting, uh, largely because Olin doesn't offer physics as a major, so he got there by having an undergraduate degree in engineering at Olin. But our philosophy is to empower students to study independently, to in- unleash them, as you say. And it basically demonstrates uh, how capable students are of learning material when they're really motivated. Uh, we also have a, an alum um, who's in uh, Silicon Valley at Facebook um, who, uh, Greg Mara, whom I have uh, visited the last couple of months uh, several times, he plays a key role in uh, helping Facebook um, manage its news feed to all of the people across the con- across the world, frankly, that Facebook has. Um, and there's just so many others. I mean, I, I remember another from the class of 06, uh, Yatasha Cave, who went to Stanford um, recently, was on a team that was recognized uh, for uh, entrepreneurship, who won, I think, uh, a major prize from the Stanford Alumni Group in Entrepreneurship. So they're they're beginning to start their careers and, and make a mark um, as it goes forward. And we have um, you know, a faculty member whom I think you've already interviewed, uh, John Stoke, who uh, left Olin and went to SMU uh, to lead the Caruth Center for a year. Um, he's come back now and he's very interested in engagement with the effort to um, influence other universities about change. So it's a very dynamic time.
1: yeah, and and Rick, uh, thanks for sharing those examples and and um, Olin's a permanent work in progress. and uh, what uh, what changes has the school made recently that might be of interest to our listeners?
2: Well, we've made quite a a change in the structure of what we do. Uh, in leading what we call the collaboratory. This is the outward-facing effort that the college has to the many different universities that come and visit. Uh, So there's been a change in leadership there and additional uh, several people who've been uh, supplementing uh, the leader who now is Jessica Townsend, um, but we have some other folks uh, joining her too. Uh, So that's an an important uh, change in what we're doing. Um, In addition to that, uh, Olin has been... Uh, kind of thrust onto a broader stage beyond engineering, um, which we were not really expecting, um, but has been really um, obviously an an increase in the opportunity space for the school, including, for example, uh, the integration of arts and humanities into STEM education, which is uh, a major interest of the Mellon Foundation. Uh, So it turns out that a lot of faculty members on campuses that are in the arts and humanities Um, are feeling a bit left out when the university talks about the future of education because so often that's focused on STEM, uh, science, technology, engineering, and math, and this is not their field. They're not particularly comfortable in um, entering those conversations and not feeling that they're particularly relevant. Uh, Well, Olin has done a lot of work in trying to integrate seamlessly the arts and humanities into STEM uh, subjects, often with the notion that students won't actually be able to identify what they're learning at any given time because it's so uh, contextually interwoven. Um, This has now begun to be recognized in the the school as entertaining people for that purpose who are coming to visit to look at the um, integration of arts and humanities. So there's a number of um, changes of that kind.
1: Nice. And and,
2: um, actually, we just had a a guest write in with a
1: question and uh, it's actually, I think it fits in the segment um, and f- fits in with some of what you were just saying in the segment uh-huh. from a listener, Dan Heck. Uh, we have the question, how does Olin measure a student's achievement or preparation to be a lifelong learner?
2: Yeah, that's an absolutely wonderful question. Uh, how do we measure students preparation and, and uh, readiness and achievement in lifelong learning? Our, our primary emphasis um, actually Throughout the entire curriculum from the beginning to the end is, are on the principles of intrinsic motivation and, um, and design thinking. So they have essentially eight consecutive semesters of design thinking in various forms um, with an emphasis on intrinsic motivation. Now, the, we believe that um, people are driven by curiosity and by a sense of wanting to make a positive difference in the world as long as they feel empowered to do so. And when you work with intrinsic motivation so that students immediately see the purpose of what they're doing as to help others, and they can identify a group of people whose lives they want to change, um, you don't have to work very hard at keeping them interested. So one of the ways we know that this is uh, having an impact is by the, the outcomes of our alumni, and also by the surveys, for example, Princeton Review, that identifies Olin students as among Always in the top ten, often in the top two um, schools where students never stop studying, so they are not, this is not a party school they are working hard but what 's really important to know is it 's not just about that because you might be able to get there by simply increasing the amount of homework relentlessly, um, but they're also often identified in the top twenty in the students are the happiest in the country the the culture that you See here is that students will tell you, I've never worked this hard in my life on anything, but there's nothing else I'd rather be doing. Um, So that old saying goes, um, working very hard on something that you hate is called stress, but working just as hard on something that you love is called passion. So intrinsic motivation is about inciting the passion, and when the percentage of students who walk across the stage who have a very high passion for making a positive impact in a sense of empowerment to do so, uh, it's hard to stop them.
1: Yeah. Well, Rick, we need to take a break, but I um, want to come back after the break, and you've written uh, passionately about mindset, so let's come back after the break and talk a little bit about that work. This is Big Beacon Radio A special guest Rick Miller, president of Olin College. Stay with us, in the, and in the next segment, we're going to talk about mindset.
2: Become our friend on
0: Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of Three Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website www.3joy.com today. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call one 866 472 5790. Again, that's one 472 5790 Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show.
1: This next segment of Big Beacon Radio is also sponsored by Owen College, a new kind of engineering college, a privately funded national lab for education redesign with a passion for creating inspiring learning experiences. Find out more at olin.edu. Man, we're back with President of Olin College, Rick Miller, and and Rick, we've been um, talking a little bit about uh, what's new with you and what's new with uh, Olin College. Uh, uh, any uh, any la- any thoughts uh, in the break of other things that our, our listeners should know about uh, what's going on at Olin now?
2: Well, the only thing that I uh, regret having. Not mentioned before when you were talking about people at Olin that have done uh, interesting things is one of our first faculty members, a founding faculty member, Gil Pratt, who uh, left Olin some years ago being called by DARPA to help with the uh, robotics uh, grand challenge, has since left DARPA and is now the founding CEO of Toyota R&D in Silicon Valley. So he's got a lot to do now with Toyota's effort at developing autonomous vehicles. Um, so there's just an awful lot of things going on at the school
1: yeah and it's hard you know sometimes people yeah, you know, Olin is big in people's minds but it, people um, don't think of it as a small school with a with they're up to what 400 students and 35 40 faculty so it it's got like you say it has a a somewhat increased footprint but it's still a it's a, it's relative to say working at where I used to work at a university of Illinois or another big state school. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a small place, but with lots of impact.
2: That's right. It's actually 350 students. We are capping it there. And yeah. we have about 45 faculty members at this 45. Point. Okay. And,
1: and um, you now, so Rick, let's, you know, you, you, uh, it, one of your uh, earlier presidents' councils meeting, you wrote a white paper about mindset, and in it you observed that there's sort of a misalignment between chief academic officers at at uh, at universities and chief executive officers at companies. That they're sort of um they're sort of uh, talking past each other about what's what's import- important and what skills are necessary in the the modern workforce. What's the what's the misalignment?
2: Yeah. So, if you were to talk to this fellow Brandon Busteed at Gallup about the um, the Gallup Purdue Index, one of the things that he did was he asked about fifteen hundred chief academic officers around the country how confident they were that their graduates uh, are well prepared for the first step in their career. Uh, it won't surprise you that something like ninety six percent of them were very confident that they're doing a great job. But Gallup, being a- Gallup, they also asked the general public and others. And it turns out the general public is not nearly so confident. Only about 14% of the general public believes that uh, college graduates today are well-prepared. And only about 11% of um, business leaders are are confident that the graduates are ready. So what's going on here, this gap between 96% and 11%? Well, it seems to me that the gap is largely because these two groups are are interpreting the question differently, and they're answering different questions. So the academic leaders, it's as if they're saying um, they know their graduates are well prepared because they are tackling and solving much more complicated math problems now than they ever were before. That, for example, uh, they're able to formulate problems that were beyond reach of students a generation ago, and they're able to apply Uh, computational tools that didn't exist all those years ago so that they can get answers to things that don't have closed-form solutions and so on. So therefore, they're really quite confident that they're well-prepared, better prepared. On the other hand, the um, business leaders are shaking their heads and saying, you're not listening. The students from a generation ago were very well-prepared for what we needed. Remember, we landed a, a spacecraft on the moon with um, technical competence that would that is uh, exceeded by your iPhone now. So, um, so it's not the additional technical competence which we're looking for. Uh, in fact, it's these attitudes, behaviors, and motivations that enable them to succeed with the knowledge that they have, that they already have. You might know, um, I think it is Southwest Airlines, which is very well regarded in the airline business, has a motto for their recruiting. It says, we hire for uh, attitude and we train for skills. Um, It's this business of uh, getting the right mindset in the graduates, which is really the the key issue. Uh, Often, uh, you find there's a lot of truth in the old adage that that your altitude in life is more the result of your attitude than it is your aptitude. Um, This business of Having the right attitude, the right mindset enables people to work across disciplines, to work across time zones and political boundaries, to work uh, in teams, um, to work on problems with an entrepreneurial mindset, uh, and to work with empathy and with ethical foundation, and to work globally. All of these ideas are what companies seem to be looking for in great measure.
1: Well, and you just used uh, somewhere there, you use the term mindset, and uh, what and the, that term has a number of different meanings and interpretations. What do you mean by it?
2: Yeah, uh, so there are lots of people who use the word mindset. Probably the most um, careful and the most um, thoroughly researched person who does this is Carol Dweck at Stanford, the psychologist who won the Atkinson Prize for Cognitive Science and Psychology from the National Academies last year. Carol has been studying mindset in children for, for 25 years and has shown that if you can cue up what she calls a growth mindset as opposed to a fixed mindset, uh, this has lasting impact on student success. There is just a the divergence of the trajectories of the students in the two groups. Um, if you look at what she's telling you about mindset, it's really about what students believe it's what they believe about themselves and what they believe about why they succeed in life. Uh, if they believe, for example, that their success is the direct result of their determination, their hard work, and their willingness to do whatever it takes in order to succeed, they tend to have much better long-term outcomes. On the other hand, if, they, if the students um, are convinced that uh, their success in life is basically baked into their DNA, sort of like your eye color, and you're either destined to do well or not, they don't tend to do so well over the long run. They don't stretch themselves. They don't apply uh, themselves in areas that are challenging sort of because the belief is if it's too hard, you must not have been born with the right genes. And so let's just not go there. Um, that kind of work with careful um, uh, uh, focus on uh, parameters and on the, the definition of mindset provides a foundation, I believe, for what I think are probably other kinds of mindset that will emerge and will be um, developed in the next few years. One of these, for example, is an is an um, collaborative mindset. So I would I would informally um, define this as the natural tendency for students to be interested in others to, for example, never eat alone, to always want to, to talk to other people to curiously to find out what they're thinking and doing, particularly people who are outside of your own discipline. Uh, folks who have that kind of natural um, orientation in life are highly sought after for people in industry. Um, in addition to, to that one, I would say an interdisciplinary mindset is also highly sought after. These are people who don't feel that they are a narrow specialist in a sub-discipline who, who then need to wait for problems to show up in their inbox so they can apply their t- calculational skills. These are people who are not confined by the definition of the discipline identified on their college diploma, but in fact just imagine that all problems are problems and they come with lots of interconnected uh, challenges. And um, the the title on your disciplinary uh, degree is simply your first approach to life uh, in order to try to make sense out of it. Uh, so they are not uh, hesitant at all to seek out working with people who have a different uh, uh, lens on the world. And of course, there are others as well, including an entrepreneurial mindset, uh, a global mindset, and an empathetic mindset.
1: Yeah, and and um, I, I think that you know, I th- there is a sense in which... Um, uh, well, actually, in the whole new engineer, we had six minds, and we we thought of the minds as kind of combining, um, uh, combining both the uh, the multiple intelligences of um, of that literature, as well as the mindset work of Carol Dweck. That there's a sense in which. That those two things combine—that there—that you can have natural pl- proclivities, as you indicated, for for say being for, for being collaborative, say, uh, or um, um, being creative or generative, um, but that that you can also um, that those things can are 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 leaders born or or. or or made, yes, they, they're they both. I mean, there's the nature versus nurture here. Both sides are important. Comment.
2: Yeah, absolutely true. Um, e- even in the case of uh, leadership or, say, entrepreneurship or music, can music be taught? Well, yes, in the sense that no matter what your natural ability level is, the more you practice the piano, the better you get at it. Um, and I think there is a complete continuum there. So, underestimating the value of um, passion, perseverance, and um, dedication is very common these days, particularly among students who have a can't-do attitude. So if we um, if we apply what we've learned from neuroscience, from our friend uh, Howard Gardner, for example, at Harvard, who not only has the uh, uh, original work on multiple intelligences, uh, which also led to emotional intelligence and a lot of things that followed, but also sure. the five minds for the future, um, yeah. which basically says this is really about habits of mind more than it is content knowledge.
1: Yeah, say, say, and say more about that distinction.
2: Yeah, so you could say um, an education that is content-driven is a little bit like an effort to try and memorize everything that's in the New York Times today. There's a lot of content in there, and certainly if you learned it all and had perfect recall, you would have uh, something significant to start with in terms of making sense out of the world. But what do you do tomorrow when there's a different front page in the New York Times? Um, A different approach, rather than saying the best way to be prepared for the future is to memorize everything that happened today, is to think about ways of learning, um, ways of creating your own knowledge, ways of learning how to learn, Um, about what's going forward. So learning how to read, for example, may be more important than remembering everything that happened in the past, particularly at a time when the rate of change of knowledge is so explosive. Uh, I read somewhere the other day, I can't pull the reference out exactly, that the um, time that it took to double the amount of known content knowledge, say 100 years ago, was measured in the decades but the time that it takes to double uh, what's known about content knowledge today is measured in hours. Um, and in that in that world, uh, one has to think differently about what it means to be educated. It's not simply about remembering what happened in the past, which may not have any real application going forward. But expeditionary learning, the, the, the fearless uh, effort to try new things, to experiment, as the Wright brothers did when they jumped off a cliff, with these wings. Um, this kind of attitude and habits of mind, I think, are going to play very strongly in the future.
1: Yeah, and one of the and one of the challenges in, in this is that you know sometimes when we talk in in these ways about say things, um, and and Mark and I got accused of this in the book, but um, but when we talk about the things that are missing that people, you know so so people have suggested that a whole new engineer is a book about trying to create engineers that then can't build bridges that fall down, which of course nothing is further than the truth and as you were saying before, Olin is this great example of a place where kids really study hard and they have fun doing it, and that's it's 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 actually those contradictory things, those what Peter Elbow called contraries or what Barry Johnson calls polarities, are, are kind of tuned up and, and we don't think of the opposite as the solution to a problem. We think of the opposite as something to be balanced and managed differently. Uh, it seems to me that many of the things, you know, so for example, collaborative mindset, uh, being collaborative uh, is in opposition to, say, great individual work. Don't we want both?
2: <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, it's the old argument about the um, left half versus the right half of the brain. Uh, you need both in order to invent and to create. Um, it's just that what we have done in our emphasis in higher education for the last hundred years is to emphasize one side of that equation. Yeah. The, the, uh, the notion that um, the, the knowledge of the world can be represented in logical manipulation of symbols that involve words and numbers, and that's it. Uh, It's probably only 30%, I'm just guessing, of the uh, knowledge base and the intelligence base of what's in anyone's head. There's another 70% that's just as sophisticated, but that involves things that are not manipulations through logic of symbols. These things have to do with uh, emotion, what we call emotion, or uh, understanding interpersonal relations or intrapersonal relations and creative um, endeavors, uh, auditory learning. Uh, There are independent brain circuits in those areas that are very important. Uh, So, in fact, I had an interview the other day with a a good friend who has been an extraordinary leader at IBM, and he was telling me that he didn't think he was a very good uh, uh, manager when he was young, and he wasn't the smartest guy in the room, and so he's overwhelmed that he's been so successful. Uh, I'm, it's very authentic. You can see that motive in all of his efforts to mentor other people. But I think if you were to interpret his intelligence and his success or not as a younger person through the lens of multiple intelligences, you might see that his intelligences in the areas other than the um, you know uh, symbolic logic uh, part of the brain were probably excessively high, and all this, this great package that he has has really risen to the top because of these other dimensions to, to knowledge and to learning, which are very important. I mean, as long as you believe that in order to be successful in life, you need to be influential, you need to be able to inspire other people around you, you need to be able to persuade, um, you need to be able to lead, um, then, you know, your math SAT score is not going to be that helpful. Uh, there's a lot more to it than that.
1: We need to take another uh, break right now, Rick, but uh, maybe uh, continue a little bit more on this subject afterwards, and then um, talk a little bit about the future of uh, higher ed and and Dolan both. How's that? This is uh, Big Beacon Radio with our special guest, Rick Miller. In the next segment, we're going to continue a little bit on mindset and talk about the future.
0: From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of Three Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645, contact him at deg at 3joy.com, or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today.
2: We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio
0: Network live wherever you go. On iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call one 866 472 Fifty-seven ninety. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show.
1: And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. And uh, this segment is sponsored by the book that is Transforming Higher Education, A Whole New Engineer, The Coming Revolution in Engineering Education, At wholenewengineer.org, it's not just for engineers anymore, and it's sponsored by a webinar by Big Beacon. Join us Wednesday, 10 May 2017 at 4 p.m. Eastern for four keys to ineffective educational change or how to botch transformation without really trying. Learn the four mistakes that people make in modern change initiatives and how to overcome them. Go to bigbeacon.org to sign up or write to me, deg at bigbeacon.org to find out more. And we're back with Rick Miller for our final segment. And um, um, you know, Rick, uh, you know, during the break, what else, uh, what else needs to be said about um, mindset and, and these different ways of thinking uh, in terms of how, how we go about transforming education?
2: Well, I think um, it's really important what kids believe about their capability to make an impact on the world yeah. Things seem so huge today and so impenetrable that it's very hard for many of them to imagine that they could actually make a difference. So there's a can't-do attitude that's sort of built in. But um, I think it's very important from what we've seen to inspire kids to think big, uh, to focus on the biggest challenges that our society faces, uh, the grand challenges of our age, challenges of sustainability, challenges of security, challenges of global health, and of enhancing life in an era when a global population seems to be exploding. Um, there are things they can do, and I think almost every kid in high school has heard about these challenges and is intimidated by them. So getting them in, focused on a bite-sized problem in that area that they can deal with is inspirational and can really change lives. I think this has to do with mindset, and this has to do with building uh, a portfolio increasingly more sophisticated and more effective um, approaches to problems that are complex. Um, This is what the value of interdisciplinary and and, uh, collaborative mindset is all about.
1: Yeah, and it's, you know, actually it's interesting and we were, we had a conversation about this the other day that um, there's a sense in which, uh, you know, so uh, when when you look at the Essentially, mindset. Carol Dweck's mindset is are two different stories about, um, or as you you were used the word belief, uh, two different sets of beliefs about efficacy, and um, but as but but essentially two different narratives about what what a person's life is about, and uh, and as a as a coach, it's interesting how often what people can and can't do is a matter of of. Changing that, changing that story. People come to coaching and they say, there's something out there that I want to be able to do that I can't do. Uh, And it's out there that I can't do it. The obstacle is external. And then we work a little bit and work a little bit. And we realize actually, in many ways, the reason they can't do the thing that they want to do is the story that they have inside of them. And, and, uh, and when, when the story changes and the beliefs change, then they, can, they have different emotions about it and different actions that they can take, and they get different results. Comment.
2: Yeah, absolutely true. Um, the power of narrative is, is immense. Um, even as long ago as Stephen Covey's work, which I think was back mm. in the 1970s, yeah. he mentioned that people come at life obviously with a deeply scripted view, about um, what he called um, a mindset of plenty versus a mindset of scarcity. Uh, You either thought about things as being uh, there's plenty to go around, and if you succeeded, that's amazing, and I'm absolutely delighted sincerely from the bottom of my heart because it means there's hope for me to be successful too. Um, That's the mindset of plenty. But on the other hand, if you think of it as a mindset of scarcity, if you succeed, oh, that's terrible, because you got all the recognition and now there won't be any oxygen left in the room for me. So there's a sort of competitive and a negative sense. Um, um, This narrative means a lot. I remember reading um, an interview in the Wall Street Journal, I believe, with um, Peretz Levy, who is the president of the Technion in Israel. And I think this interview was about the um, Cornell Tech campus that's going Mm -hmm. in, a really exciting development on Roosevelt Island in New York. And the the uh, author of the article was surprised that Cornell had chosen um, the Technion as a partner. I mean, they basically uh, saying something like, "Haven't you noticed there are other uh, engineering schools right here in the U.S.? I mean, why did you go to Israel to find this?" And uh, Perez was pointing out that well, Israel is in uh, the Technion is um, amazing for the high percentage of startup companies that are generated from that particular campus, um, and that was even more surprising to the author, because he said, how can this be, how can you be generating um, generating so many startup companies in a place like Israel, haven't you noticed, all the people around you are looking down their gun barrels at you, um, you're, you're under fire constantly, so how could you possibly be entrepreneurial, and that's when um, President Levi stopped him, and he said, no, see, you've got it exactly backwards. You can't live in a place like Israel without being an optimist. You have to imagine that there could be a better world, and you also have to believe that it's up to you to make it happen. Those two elements of mindset, imagining that there could be a better world and taking the initiative personally to make an impact are the heart of what it means to have an entrepreneurial mindset. Um, That kind of attitude and behavior is something that can be cued. Uh, Last fall... I had a rare opportunity. I got called by the chancellor's office at the University of California, Davis, my undergraduate alma mater, and asked if I would come and speak at the dedication of a part of their building. I think it's a student community center. Um, and this, this was uh, because they were dedicating the building to a retired faculty member. Now, that's a very rare thing. If you're paying attention in higher ed, they don't normally name buildings after faculty members. They name them after donors. So I got involved to some degree in this effort to make the case uh, for why we should, should name it for him anyway. By the way, he was my undergraduate advisor, so I knew him quite well. And as you looked at the testimonials and the case that was made, it was pretty straightforward. My take on it, hopeful faculty members spread hope among their students. And cynical faculty members spread cynicism. Have you ever seen a um, cynical entrepreneur? And the answer is you haven't because it's an oxymoron. It matters how faculty members interact with students. And it wasn't that he ever taught a course called Hope 101. Sure. And it isn't that he got paid extra. The university didn't have to invest a dime. It was his personal investment in others, the way he interacted with them, his belief that his mission was to change lives while he was teaching structural mechanics. I think that's inspirational. I think that could be true on every campus in America today.
1: Well, and and let's let's talk about that. You know, part of uh, part of Olin's mission is to uh, act as a be- beacon to others, and and so um, uh, the school I think was incorporated in '97. You joined it in a few years later, '99. So it's we're talking. You've been you've been in well, you've been in higher ed longer than that, but you've been. Uh, president of the and of a of a campus, uh, explicitly trying to change the world and explicitly trying to help others change the world. Uh, over the course of the time that you've been doing this, what have you noticed about change in higher ed? Are are we are we are we moving? Are we standing still? What have you What have you noticed?
2: Yeah, it's been amazing, um, Dave. My take on this. Is that there is more interest and there's more opportunity today for sincere change in higher education than there ever has been in my lifetime. Um, I know you've been involved in changing higher education for a similarly long time and if you rewind the clock back say 30 years you can just take for example a metric of the membership in the ASEE. Um, ASWE, I think 30 years ago was not one of the largest in the country and the conference was not very large or well-prepared either. The Journal of Engineering Education was not a very um, highly selective um, journal at that time either. But today, both of those things are false. The yeah. ASWE conference is one of the largest in the world, and the rejection rate for papers is high. There's a great interest in this. And, of course, if you look at the interest in, in change in education globally, you can see why as well. We mentioned the numbers earlier about the BRIC countries and about... Um, 750 institutions from 50 countries uh, on their own nickel coming to visit Owen. Um, so opportunity has never been greater. Uh, one of the things that I'm discovering now through um, support for our work from the Kern Family Foundation in Wisconsin is that this idea of entrepreneurial mindset and sort of generalized more broadly to uh, all of the mindsets uh, that are really important is um, highly portable, it's not unique to engineering, and it could change lives, I think, in every sector of higher ed. So one of the things that we noticed at Olin, um, because we're so small, our commencement is unlike that at other places. We have the luxury of enabling students to submit 15 words they'd like to have read uh, as they walk across the stage. So every kid that goes across the stage, you can see something about their personality. And after watching this for a number of years, I came to the conclusion that the kids who are graduating from here not only have the knowledge and the skill to use their knowledge to be effective as engineers, they also have, I would say, a very good head start on developing a purpose or a mission or a calling in life. This is deeper than just having the knowledge and skill. Um, the letters that I get as president from parents who tell me we sent Johnny or Susie to Olin as a high school senior, they were a little bit fragile emotionally. They, for example, maybe didn't have uh, a lot of social interaction with other kids, but they were deeply interested in science, and we hoped that by sending them to Olin, number one, they wouldn't get lost because you're so small, and number two, they would um, get a good job at a company like, say, GE or IBM or something, and then we wouldn't have to worry about them. But something happened along the way. This kid has come home now, and, and, and he's on fire. He's on the TED speaking circuit. He's a missionary. He's out to change education, or he's out to change engineering around the world. How did you do that? You have no idea how valuable that is to us as parents. Our kid has found their calling. Um, that, I think, is the next calling for Olin, and I think that is the next calling for higher ed. In my view, in the 21st century, the role of higher education will change It will no longer be fundamentally about providing access to knowledge and skill. That will be more of a commodity. But what will be the most important differentiator is to also shaping the mindset. So every time you pick up a piece of chalk and you walk into the classroom, you're not just teaching calculus. You're also shaping a mindset. You may be paying attention to this and doing it deliberately, or you may not be paying attention to this, but nevertheless, you're doing it. You're changing people's lives. And it's time in the 21st century that we took responsibility for this, and we deliberately prepared our new faculty members to play the right role. That will take the kind of coaching that you do, uh, Dave. That will take the kind of uh, mentoring and support that Olin tries to provide to other institutions as well and many other universities around the world that are doing similar things. But I think it's changing. Great. Rick, we're out of, out of time. Uh
1: uh, uh People can find out more uh, at Olin.edu. Uh, where, else, where else should they write to find out more about you and, and the college's mission?
2: I think if they simply send an email to me personally, I could redirect it. It's richard.miller at Olin.edu.
1: Rick, thanks for, thanks for joining us, and thanks uh, for Olin doing what it does.
2: Thank you, Dave, for doing what you do. Been listening to
1: Big Beacon Radio Transforming Higher Education. Special thanks to Rick Miller and Olin College. Help transform higher education. Join the movement to unleash a new generation of innovators by learning more at bigbeacon.org. Join us next week, same time, same channel on our quest to transform higher education.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Please join Dave Goldberg soon for another edition. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For additional information about our programs or to find out about the next show, please visit bigbeacon.org. We'll talk again very soon.